back to Living in the Way. This is our fourth session and uh, we've uh, dragged Jared in with us today as well. And so it's, uh, I've got Chris with me again. Howdy. And uh, this is Jared. Hello. <laughs> uh, and uh, today we're, we're going to uh, talk about in this fourth session about who is Jesus. Um, but uh, before we get going... Uh, the music at the start of each of these sessions uh, is Spirit, uh, which is a song that Jared actually wrote. Woohoo! Good and, job, Jared. Yeah. And, Thank uh, you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how, how long did it take you to, to do that song? Like, what's your process? How long does it take you generally to in write a song? Of, like, write, well, that song is a bit of an exception. I started writing it in like 2013 or 14. I've had like the chorus and the intro since then. And tried to finish it like 50, 60 times and it's oh, never worked. I've and, been there, yeah. Yeah, and I, I literally went home one night um, before the revival meetings last year and God said, pick up your guitar and go to this specific note from this date in your phone. And I went there and uh, and he said, all right, now take part of this note and put it in that one and, and play. And I played the song once and it was done. Wow. Awesome. So I was like, oh, okay. So it was just waiting for that time. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And people can get it on what Spotify, Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, yeah. everywhere. And they're looking for the name Kingdom, yep. Kingdom with an S in the middle. Excellent. So uh, make sure you get it and enjoy it. It is a fantastic song. It is. All right. So we're going to get into our session today, which is on knowing Jesus, and uh, uh, I guess uh, like a both of you guys have walked with the Lord for a little while, but uh, maybe we can throw it back to um, Chris to your early days, perhaps when you were just finding out about Jesus. What was perhaps some of the preconceptions that you might have carried? Uh, yeah. Okay, so before I gave my heart over, I knew a lot about who Jesus was. As I've already explained, I spent kind of five years um, humming and ahhing about this before I made the decision to become a Christian, give my life over to him. But I already knew a bit about who he was. I'd studied him, you know, as a, a, a naturalist, as an atheist, would study anything, just looking for the physical evidence and all yeah. that sort of stuff. So I had come to the conclusion that he really existed. He was a man. He was a great leader. He had a great message. And then he died. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Fair just enough. like everyone else who's been born was a great man, was a great leader, had a great message, and then died. Yeah. So anything, you know, uh, from from Hitler through to Gandhi kind of... Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just put him on the spectrum with everyone else. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then the more I studied, the more I I had this... Well, what Paul calls a thorn in the flesh, the one thing I couldn't get past was the fact that even non-biblical sources acknowledged that he performed miracles and then rose again from the dead. And I'm like, well, it's not just... I can't just deny the book anymore. I have to deny other sources which I already believe were credible. Yeah. So now I've got a juxtaposition I can't reconcile. And so, you know, ultimately that led me into his arms. But yeah. to begin with, it was just a very uncomfortable mental place to be in when I yeah. couldn't reconcile it all and tick the box and then mark it as done. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Jared? I know that you grew up in a Christian environment, but also kind of went through that process of, uh, I guess, awakening, you know. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think was some of the, perhaps the preconceptions in youth that you carried about Jesus that you, you look back on now and go, oh, I didn't quite have that right or 
Well, I mean, in general, growing up in a very conservative family, uh, in terms of Christianity, it was very conservative. It was what the Bible says is the truth. Um, but, you know, the churches that my parents had grown up in and that I grew up in did not explore the Holy Spirit or anything like that. And so just my understanding of Jesus was very milk uh, based. <laughs> it was, there was no meat to it. Um, and, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the, the camping at the cross. It's like, oh, he saved us on the cross, but no real deep understanding beyond that. And so it wasn't until I um, had some deliverance and, and some healing and stuff when I was a teenager, I was about 15, um, and I actually met Jesus uh, where I actually started to understand more, you know, oh, it's, it's more than just, oh, he loved me and died for me and it's forgiven me my sins. It's, yeah, so it was very milky understanding until I was about 15 and then started to get a bit deeper. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so let's have a look at uh, some scriptures around um, what the Bible tells us about Jesus. And what the first one, we're going to have a look at, and I think the thing is, is that we've got to move immediately beyond the tropes of of um, a popular understanding about who Jesus was. And everybody has seen the movies and has yeah. seen, you know, the man walking by the Sea of Galilee and all that sort of thing. You know, so uh, we're going to have a look at uh, the Gospel of John, chapter one, uh, verses one to fourteen, and. Um, have you got that in front of you, Chris? I do. I have it ready to oh, go. Well, go for it if yeah. you want to read it. Okay. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or, or, or plan, sorry, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So then the, the question, of course, and you know, this is a question I, I put to you as a listener, is who is the Word? And uh, the answer, of course, to that is Jesus. You know, if you kind of, if you if you start off reading that and kind of vague out a little bit through the middle and you start tuning back in, you go, oh, yeah, we're talking about Jesus here. Mm. John the Baptist and, and God the Father and, and, and you start to realise. But it starts off by saying, in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Uh, and... You know, we get down to, uh, where is it, verse 10. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. And, and at that point, you start putting the pieces together. Yeah. Ah, okay. <clears throat> so for a start, we're told that, that Jesus is the word. 
the Word is God. Mm -hmm. So Jesus is God. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that's a really thing, really a thing that we need to kind of bring out is to so many people, to so many Christians, uh, you as the listener, if you went and asked someone, who is Jesus? The standard answer is going to be, Jesus was a man who lived. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but to a Christian, the trope answer is Jesus is the Son of God. Oh yes, no, right. Yeah. Okay, it's yeah. it's like that's Jesus is the Son of God. But while that is true, because that is that is a title, uh, a a title that actually applies to you as well, which we can get into another time. Yeah, but. He is not just the Son of God. He is God, mm. fully God, just as much as God the Father sitting in heaven is God, Jesus is also God. And that's like a really key point that comes out of this. But then, you know, one of the other things that you've got to look at is what Jesus said about himself. And uh, we're going to get into this a little bit uh, with what some of the commentators around have had to actually say about Jesus. But before we do that, just to get a framework, let's look at what Jesus says about who he is himself. So we're going to uh, hit, first of all, uh, John chapter 8, verse 12. Okay, Jared, do you want to look? Okay. Some of these? Yeah, Beautiful. Just verse 12? Yep. Uh, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Okay, so he says, I am the light of the world. Uh, we might as well do another one, right? Okay. Yeah, John 10, verse 9 and 10. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Right. So he, so far we've got I am the light of the world. I am, I am the gate. So obviously uh, he's not making, uh, in that sense, literal statements. He's, he's drawing a parallel or he's using a metaphor. Um, and these are metaphors that we get, right? You know, like we talk in our society about enlightenment. Having, having a richer understanding and, and coming into knowledge. Yeah. And Jesus says, I am the light. He also says, I am the gate. And, you know, he's talking about sheep and pastures and that sort of thing. But, you know, really, what's he talking about when he, he's talking about gate? He's talking about entrance into relationship with God. All right, so uh, I am the light, I am the gate, um, uh, John 10, 11. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. Yeah, so, and this is a classic picture of, yeah. of Jesus as the shepherd. Mm. But again, we're not talking about the guy who looks like the shepherd. He was never an actual shepherd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what, why the shepherd? What, what's the thing about the shepherd? It's a culturally appropriate metaphor, isn't yeah. it? Something that when he spoke out, the people who lived around him and in those cultures understood immediately without explanation required. Yeah. Yeah. So help us out with this metaphor. 
Why is Jesus referring to himself as a shepherd? Because he guides and we are the sheep. Yeah. 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 Sometimes I feel like a pretty stupid sheep. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. It's good to have a good shepherd when you're a stupid sheep. Yeah, especially especially when as 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 sheep we have a tendency to follow each other without yeah. thinking. And that's yeah. one of the things about sheep yeah. is they'll just do what they see done in front of them without considering it and, and they can one sheep can lead a whole bunch of sheep into trouble yeah. because none of them are really thinking about what's going on. They're just staying together. Yeah. Hey, and look, right from the outset, as a new believer, one of the things that we want to say to you is don't follow another sheep. Mm-hmm. Don't follow... I mean, don't get me wrong on this. We all need mentors. We need fathers. We need people that we trust and, and will guide us, like Paul said, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Yeah. But ultimately... You've got to make sure that the person that you are actually following is Jesus. Yeah. And don't get caught up into basically idolatry of looking at a man or, or a woman, a leader, as the, the answer to your salvation. We, you know, as a spiritual leader, I want to do my best job possible in, in guiding you in your faith. But at some point along the way, I'm going to fail you. I'm going to offend you or I'm going to say something the wrong way. I'm going to tell you something wrong or I'm going to hurt you. I don't want to, but the likelihood of that happening is actually pretty high. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, Jared's actually nodding while he's... <laughs> uh, um, you know, I, I don't want to do that, but... But spiritual leaders are going to let you down. And, you know, the, the thing is, is that you've really got to be making sure that you're following the good shepherd. Uh, okay, John eleven twenty five. Yeah. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? I mean, that's intense, man. Yeah, it is, isn't it? I mean, he, he's saying this before he goes to the cross. Yeah. yeah. And he's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And, and I mean, that's one of the things about the stuff that Jesus says. Can you imagine <laughs> some, some guy standing in front of you? Like, and this is Mary and Martha. So Jesus to them is an old family friend. Yeah. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. You'd be thinking... Oh, you're, not, you're my cousin. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right. so you're saying what now? Well, yeah. um, you know, so it's, I look at this stuff and um, uh, we're going to talk about this in a second. It, Jesus doesn't leave you a lot of room in thinking, as you were saying before, a great man who was a historical figure who lived and did some nice things and died again. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't leave the space for that. No. Um, so uh, John, for, maybe we'll flick back to you, Jared. John 14, verse 6. Yep. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. huge. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there goes the universalist argument. Yep. Right? Yeah. Okay, the universalist argument is... Uh, please explain, Jerry. Everybody will go somewhere nice. Yeah. yeah. All yeah. roads lead to heaven. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we're not 
got room for that now with Jesus. Yeah. He's saying, I am the only, the, the, the one path, the one way, the one gate, the one light. Yeah. Uh, it, it's only me. And yeah, there you go. Okay. Uh, next one, Jared. Um, well, yeah. Uh, so uh, he's made these statements about who he is. And now he starts in, we're going to look at some scriptures about how he says that he is God. So John 14, 9 to 11, Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Man, I mean, how intense is that? Mm. You know, he, he's saying, "I am." If you've if you've seen me, you've seen you've the seen God. Yeah. You've seen God. Mm. Look at me, seen God right here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you think of it, the hubris, the the, yeah. the arrogance yeah. of a statement like that, you'd want it to be true. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean. People get locked up for saying stuff like this. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, give us another one. Uh, John seventeen five. Yep. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. Ooh. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Um, and the last one. Luke 22, verse 70. Then they all said, Are you then the Son of God? So he said to them, you rightly say that I am. There you go. Serious point blank. Yeah. So we've got this perception that Jesus himself is creating. I am God. A mm. um, man by the name of C.S. Lewis, who uh, you know, so many people, if you don't know the name, you would know the work, thanks to the uh, Chronicles of Narnia movies. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote that series, and wow, that's big in itself. The, the guy was actually something of a, a, a theologian, certainly a philosopher, and um, but he only came to Christ uh, in his middle ages. He, he wasn't a believer growing up. Uh, and he makes a a statement which I, I think sums it up and it gets distilled down to a single phrase, lunatic, liar, or lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, yeah, Chris, do you want to read this, this quote? This yeah, quote? a quote from C.S. Lewis. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, (laughs) or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet, call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronising nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to, 
Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Wow. Lunatic, liar, or Lord? It's so great because that's a purely rational and logical argument that anyone can work their way through, any Westerner can work their way through quite quickly and simply and come to the same conclusion. Yeah. yeah. Based on all the evidence, there is only one answer to that question. Yeah. 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 Uh, another thing that we need to point out is, you know, I, I mean, we're looking at what Jesus had to say about himself. And he's making some pretty bold claims. Hmm. Uh, as a new believer, you've probably been pointed to read through the New Testament, which is absolutely good and right. Mm-hmm. But at some point you're going to get into the Old Testament too. And generally we point people to the New Testament because we want you to learn about your life in Christ. But the Old Testament uh, affirms and confirms all of the, the stuff that you learn in the New Testament. Um and one of the affirmations and confirmations that comes through the Old Testament is, again, about who Jesus was. Now, we are not going to look at the over 80 <laughs> prophecies that exist about Jesus that, that said things like uh, he was going to be crucified some thousand years before the the torture of crucifixion yeah, ever existed. Invented, yeah. um, that his bones wouldn't be broken, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be born to a virgin. All of these things were all prophesied about him. Like in excess of 400 years before he came. I, I mean, to put that into perspective, that's like someone in the Middle Ages telling us about Donald Trump becoming president, um, you know, and telling us about his poofy hair and his, uh, you know... All the towns he lived in, where, where he would be born, how, you know, um, yeah, how he yeah. would die. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's just crazy, it right? So um, the, the statistical probability of one man fulfilling all of these prophecies is so overwhelmingly small. Like, I, to give you an idea, you've got to understand how this, this thing works. Right? Now, if I said to you that we've, we've got um, one in ten people have got jet black hair, right? And one in ten people have got, uh, let's say, hazel eyes, Okay. What then is the statistical probability of getting a person with jet black hair and hazel eyes? Now, you'd say, well, it's like one in ten because it's one in ten hazel eyes, one in ten black hair. No. 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 So what, what you've had, the easy way to work it out in when you've got tens is you just add the zeros together. You multiply it, yeah. So uh, it's actually one in a hundred. Now... When you start thinking about things like what are the statistical chances of someone being born in Bethlehem? Now, of all the people in all of humanity who have been born 
And Bethlehem has typically had about 5,000 people living in it at any one time through all of history, right? Okay. If I said that one in 10,000 people are born in Bethlehem, do you think I'm being generous? I think you are being very generous. Right? So if, if I then said, uh, let's look at the crucifixion, how many people in all of history have been crucified? Yeah. Now, the Romans did enjoy this practice, right? But, you know, if, if do you think if I said that one in 10,000 people have been crucified, do you think I'm being generous there? I think that's a gross exaggeration, but let's yes. go with it, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, the chances of a person being born in Bethlehem and being crucified is... One in, what have we got? A hundred million now? Yeah, yeah, one in like a hundred million, yeah. Um, no, it's more than that, it's eight zeros. That could be a hundred million, a hundred million. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right, yep. Yeah. All right. Hey, look, I'm not the mathematician here, right? <laughs> Put all the nerds on this side of the table. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then try to do all the teaching yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so we got one in a hundred million. Now, we're talking, if we take that conservative number of 80 prophecies, and if if with that 80 prophecies, we just, not one in 10,000, if we just called one in 100, mm-hmm. the maths on this is so crazy. And there's a guy by Chuck Missler who um, uh, has has done a, a thing on this. He's, you know, you can look it up on YouTube. But... He, because he likens it to you know like putting a ping pong ball in a bunch of other ping pong balls. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so one in a hundred, you've got one ping pong ball in a hundred, or as we we're talking about, one ping pong ball in a hundred million. Yeah. So the statistical probability of Jesus fulfilling all these prophecies is you would need a bucket of ping pong balls the size of the universe (laughs) and then you would have to fill the space of the universe and our universe isn't full right we've got space but you would have to fill the space of that universe with ping pong balls but the ping pong balls would have to be the size of an atom (laughs) right so you start to get a picture yeah of the chances of one man fulfilling all of these prophecies. The the numbers are just ridiculous. So that alone starts, and, and, you know, people people can argue about, oh, well, you know, it could have been written after he existed and all that. But anyone who's making those arguments is just talking garbage. They just haven't done any research. No, because we have a thing called the Septuagint. And um, you know about the Septuagint, right? Yeah, yeah. So about 100-odd years before uh, Jesus was born, uh, a bunch of Greek scholars got together, 70 Greek scholars, which is where the name Septuagint comes from, 70 Greek scholars got together and translated the entire Old Testament and some other apocryphal works from ancient Hebrew into Greek, which was becoming the first language of the entire known world at that point. Yeah. And so we have the Old Testament written in Greek before Jesus was born, and then the New Testament was written in Greek. So the 
uh, the Septuagint becomes a real bridge between the Old and New Testaments. Mm. And the point being that because it was translated then, and there's the historical evidence of that taking place, everything that is in the Old Testament is like historically locked Locked in in. as being written written before that time. So at an absolute minimum, all these things that were said about Jesus were written a minimum of 120 years before Jesus. The reality is, is that we know that the last book written in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, was written some 400 years. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, even if you want to try to argue any dates, you've got the problem of it being locked in yeah. by the Septuagint. Yeah. So, you know, the, the reality of Jesus is mind-blowing, that a man that, that fulfilled all of these prophecies even existed is, is just out of this world. Well, literally, it's out of this world, right? It's, out of this dimension. Yeah, it's, it's, it's supernatural, it's extraterrestrial, it's, you know, it's, it's, he literally has come from somewhere else. And, and this, the fact that it is all recorded in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. that is just the evidence that this truly is God. And I'm kind of hammering this point because I want you as a new believer to understand that what you're believing in is really real. Yeah. It's not just it's not just some vague notion and some idea built on some ancient texts. This this Jesus that we we know and experience is is both historically and spiritually and personally actually more real than even you and I. <laughs> Statistically yeah. speaking, he, he, his reality is even greater than our idea.